turn in our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 2. On Sunday morning, we're studying the book of Hebrews together. We find ourselves in chapter 2. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now. They have lots of Bibles, and they, if you just get their attention, they'll be happy to get one into your hands. Always best to not only hear the Word of God, but read along as well, going into the eye gate and into the ear gate, double the impact. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also, bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray this morning by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room today that this passage, your heart, Lord, your truth, would just come off of the page with a supernatural clarity into each one of our hearts and our minds today. We thank you for this living book made alive by your Holy Spirit. We just surrender ourselves to you now, eager to hear, Lord, what it is that these couple of verses are intended to mean in each of our lives today, whether saved or as yet unsaved. Make this service, this time of just teaching now, all your own. Make it into what you know it needs to be, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are uh, enduring great, great hardship and great, great suffering because of their faithfulness to the Lord, not only on kind of a national and international level, they are enduring the persecution against Christians by Caesar Nero at that time in human history, but also enduring persecution and rejection and isolation from their own families and from their own heritage because of their faith in the Lord. And so they're really facing an awful lot. They are paying a great price for staying faithful to the Lord. And this Christian life isn't the easiest life. It's the best life a person can live, but it isn't always the easiest life. There is a price to be paid. We're not home in this world. We are strangers and pilgrims here on our way home. And so they're paying a great price, and in the midst of this great price that they're paying, they're being tempted to go back under their old religious system, back under works and human effort as a means of salvation, and they were desiring to do so as a means of escaping the hardships that they were facing. And so they're thinking with their hearts, and a lot of thinking goes on today and always has when we find ourselves in difficulty, we begin to think 
with our hearts and we begin to think with our emotions rather than thinking with our minds as Christians and even more specifically uh, thinking through in light of the Bible, thinking biblically. And so they aren't thinking biblically and so the writer reminded them of how serious the consequences would be if they actually did what they were considering doing. And most specifically, he reminds them, if they abandoned Christ, it is to abandon salvation. Because as the apostle Peter uh, put it by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Now, notice that the writer reminded them, and he reminds us as a result, that through the Lord Jesus, God has provided us, verse 3, with a great salvation. And it is a great salvation. It's great in its invitation. It's great in its scope. Jesus said, "'Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden,' and I will give you rest. He said in John chapter 6, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. No one is excluded from this salvation. There are none who are so good that they don't need to be saved, and there are none who have been so bad that they cannot be saved. It's a great salvation in the price that was paid in order to provide it. It required the incarnation of Jesus, him coming from the very glory of heaven and into the fallenness of this world in order to provide us with salvation. It is the price that was paid included his suffering and his rejection and his humiliation and his death upon the cross. It is great in its power, its power to save sinners, its power to cleanse sinners, its power to free sinners from the bondage of sin. And so it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek This salvation is great in its wisdom, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It is, this is a great salvation in light of its wisdom because it is only this salvation that allows God to justify sinful man and still remain just in doing so. This salvation is great in its love, as John wrote in his first epistle. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This salvation is great in the life that it gives. It provides us with abundant life now, and it provides us with everlasting life in the life to come. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And concerning everlasting life, Jesus said, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. The apostle John wrote, and this is the promise that he has promised us, everlasting life. And then in verse 3, as the writer brings out here, the salvation is great in its witnesses to the veracity or the truthfulness of this gospel. Jesus said of this salvation, and we remember that it is the Jesus that the writer described in the early verses of chapter 1, who is the brightness of the Father's glory, who is the express image of His substance, who is the heir of all things. He is the maker and the sustainer of the universe, and He has now sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And this Jesus declared, for God so loved the world, and speaking of the truthfulness of the gospel, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is witness to the greatness of this gospel. Jesus also declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. The writer in verse 3 also speaks in terms of these great witnesses to the truthfulness of the gospel and the greatness of the gospel. He refers to the apostles who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and his teaching. And Paul, Peter, one of those apostles, declared in his first epistle, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The apostle John declared, and this is the testimony that God has given us everlasting life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then we notice the witness of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in verse 4 to the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of this gospel. And how did they bear witness to this gospel and the greatness of the gospel? We're told that it was done through signs and wonders, and the book of Acts and the gospels filled, and the epistles filled with examples of the signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit did as a witness and a testimony to the gospel. We talk about signs and we talk about wonders and just kind of uh, use them as synonyms for miracles, but they really intended to mean more than that. When God does a wonder, He does it in order to make people wonder. People just go along through life 
And it's just the same old thing. Every day we do this and the monotonous, monotony of it and the regularity of it and all, and pretty soon a person is completely dead to spiritual things, or they are completely dead, and they're willing to live their life, their three score and ten, and just going through the motions as the world is dictating, no thought given to God at all, and then all of a sudden God does a wonder, some kind of a miracle, and it makes that person stop. And sometimes it can be God raising someone from the dead or healing someone. One of the greatest wonders that a God does is to save somebody. And here's this person you grew up with all of your life, your best friend or one of your good friends or a family member, and one day they become a Christian and their life has changed overnight. And you know the weakness of their life. You know they're just like you. They know there's, you know there's no explanation for the change that has occurred except that God must be real and God has done a miracle in their life. And it gets you wondering about God. It gets you thinking about God. And that's why the Holy Spirit does wonders. And then these miracles are also referred to as signs. And what is a sign? A sign is just simply these things that we put in terms of on the physical level, we put in different places so that you can begin in point A and end up following the signs and end up at the proper destination at the end of your trip. And spiritually speaking, these great miracles that were done, they were signs so that a person, if they would simply follow where the signs led, they would discover that God did these things in order to lead us to Christ, to put our faith in Christ, and then end up in the proper destination that life is intended to lead us to, and that is into everlasting life in the life to come. And so these, the gospel was borne witness to by God the Father and the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders. And not only through signs and wonders, but also through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or through miracles rather. And it's important to realize, again, that when God did miracles, when Jesus did miracles, or the Holy Spirit did miracles through the apostles in the book of Acts, it wasn't him just saying, listen, I just want to show you that I can do this kind of thing, or, uh, you know, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat if you watch the old Bullwinkle cartoons. That's not what uh, God… weren't those the most boring, though, cartoons in history? Only because the other ones weren't on television did we watch uh, Bullwinkle. But anyway, Rocky and Bullwinkle, God bless him. Well, how can you bless a cartoon? But anyway… But these miracles that were done, they were done, they were specific. They were purposeful. God did them, and when He did them, it was the Holy Spirit's way of saying, Amen, which means that's the truth, so be it, concerning the gospel that Jesus brought into the world, the way of salvation. It was the way of heaven saying, this is the truth, and these miracles, I am doing them to get your attention and to tell you that this is the truth that I am speaking to you in the way of salvation. And then he lists also as a witness to the gospel and the truthfulness of it, 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they bore witness to this great salvation. Like on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church there in that upper room, like a great the sound of a great rushing wind, and they begin to speak in the gift of tongues. It gathered a crowd. Peter began to preach, and 3,000 people were saved. A little bit later, Peter and John are making their way to the temple there in Jerusalem, and as they're making their way, there's a lame man that is sitting before the gate beautiful there, and they're passing through that entrance, and the man is hoping to get alms from people as they're making their way to the temple. And Peter pulls up, and he looks at the man, and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he not only rose up and walked, he began to dance and jump until a great crowd had gathered around. People have been watching this man for decades. No change. Religion couldn't touch him. And now here's this man, his life has been completely changed. A gigantic crowd gathers around, and they want to give Peter and John all of the credit for it. And Peter begins to preach Christ and how to come to know Christ. He preaches the gospel to them, and 5,000 people become saved as a result of that message. Now, that's quite a list of witnesses to man's need for salvation and to the truth of the gospel and that salvation is found in Jesus alone. You have the apostles, the witness of God the Father, the witness of God the Son, and the witness of God the Holy Spirit. And I think to myself, who in their right mind would bet a nickel against that collective witness, much less to bet our eternity? God has provided us with so great a salvation. And I want you to notice also in verse 3 that the writer warns us of the danger of neglect, of neglecting so great a salvation, the danger of it. The word neglect, as it's used here, it means to fail to investigate, to fail to give any consideration to. In other words, it means to do nothing with the gospel. It means to do nothing with God's offer of salvation. And you think about how many people are in this category. Yes, there are some who investigate the life and the teaching of Jesus. They give him a fair hearing, and then they choose to reject him and his offer of salvation. And the Bible tells us that this occurs because they love darkness and they don't want to come to the light. And so there's some sin or some, some selfism or selfishness or pride that they know that they would need to give up in order to become a follower of Jesus, and so they refuse to do that. And I'll tell you, you have to have a certain respect for the kind of person who has actually investigated the life and the claims of Jesus and then declares, I like everything I know about him, but I am not willing to give up my sin and my self-will to follow him now, maybe later, but not now. And I'll tell you, I'm just like you. I've known quite a number of people like this through the years. 
And it's a dangerous position to be in because life is a vapor. We don't know that we're going to have a later opportunity to accept him. But you have to give them credit, at least for being honest. The overwhelming majority of people in this world will make no investigation of the life and of the claims of Jesus. I was at an appointment Uh, recently, and the person was working on me, and I said to the person, I said, have you ever investigated in the life of Jesus, his life and his teaching? And she said, she said, I'm a Catholic. I said, have you ever read the Gospels? She said, no, I never have. Would that be good? I said, yes, it would be very good. And so this neglect where that consumes the majority of people in this world, no investigation of the life and teaching of Christ, and if the gospel is presented to them, they're completely indifferent to it, and they ignore it. Goes in one ear, goes out the other, and they choose to do nothing with God's offer of salvation. And there's a big problem with that. And the problem with that is that not to choose is to choose in this regard. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And so when a person has the gospel presented to them and they choose to do nothing with it, that's still a choice. It is still to choose to do nothing with God's offer of salvation, and it is a choice that they will be held accountable for. This world is made up of only two kinds of people, and that is those who trust in the gospel for salvation and those who do not. In the immortal words of J. Vernon McGee, there are only saints and ain'ts, and I say that affectionately. So the writer tells us that a person can end up in the judgment of a Christless eternity on the basis of neglect, just as surely as a person who hates God or blasphemes God or decisively rejects God and his offer of salvation. And everywhere we look in life, we see the terrible price that is paid for neglect, the power of the sin of neglect. All a farmer has to do to lose his harvest is to neglect his crop. All a businessman needs to do for his business to ultimately go under is to neglect his business. Think about how many marriages and how many families are destroyed due to simple neglect of those marriages and those relationships. But nowhere is neglect more dangerous than concerning the gospel because there the consequences are eternal. And what are the consequences of neglect? The writer poses the question, how shall we escape? That is the judgment of God if we neglect so great a salvation. The answer to his question How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer is, there is 
no escape because there is no other salvation for mankind than the forgiveness that is provided us through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that is then made ours through simple faith in him. And to fail to put my trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins leaves me unsaved. Whether I am in that condition out of neglect or indifference or it's an active decision that I've made, neglect and indifference is just as dangerous. And so the writer reminds us that if the warnings of God communicated through angels prove true, and they always did, example of Sodom and the destruction of Sodom where the angels came in to remove Lot and his wife and his family before the destruction of that city. And that city was ultimately destroyed just as they said. Then how much more, the writer says, steadfast will be the words of the very Son of God who who has a greater message delivered by a greater messenger. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He said, again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed." But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. There is nothing more steadfast than the words of God concerning the way of salvation and concerning the consequences of either rejecting or neglecting this salvation. Again, the Apostle John wrote in his first epistle, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God that he testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us everlasting life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. God has provided us with a great salvation, and we must be careful not only to act, not to actively reject it, but also to be very, very careful not to be guilty of the sin of neglect related to his gospel because the consequences 
are just as far-reaching and just as serious. Let's pray together now.